Amen. 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 In the 1730s, just before the first Great Awakening broke out in Northampton, Massachusetts, Jonathan Edwards, the pastor of the Congregational Church in that town, after he had preached a series of messages on how to be justified in God's sight only through faith in Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord, he recorded that he began to notice some things in the community. And he put it like this, it seemed as if the Holy Spirit settled down among us. In other words, there wasn't a church service, and then when the church service was over, everybody just went on and did what they did outside of church. There was just the sense of the lingering presence of the Spirit of the Lord. We sense His presence. We are led to worship the greatness of our God and our hearts just rise up with personal praise. We don't have to take it from somebody else. It's, it's our own testimony, Lord. You're great and you've proven your greatness in my life. Who am I, a little person, one speck in the universe, but I know that you are great, that you are great, your great mercy, your great power in my life. Folks, I want us to pray, pray. I want us to pray that the Lord would cause his spirit to settle down among us. Now, I, I'm not trying to get theologically weird when I say that. I know the, the Lord is everywhere present, but the Lord is not everywhere felt. Do I get a witness? He is everywhere. There's no place that can keep him out, but he is not felt everywhere. When he pours out his spirit upon a city, upon a church, upon a nation, when he pours out his spirit, there is the sense of the lingering presence of the Lord. So that you don't leave a church service and not sense his presence at work or not sense his activity in the hearts of people who may be nowhere near acting and behaving in the way that church people ought to act. But his spirit just settles in among us. And I can tell you this, David said, the Lord sits enthroned upon shouts of praise. When he hears his people loving him, when he hears rising up from within sometimes 
the saddest, hardest, most broken places of our lives, but still there is the desire to bless the name of Jesus and magnify his greatness and his power. The scripture says he sits enthroned upon shouts of praise. It says that he inhabits the praises of his people. And that's why I've said as long for these 30-something years as Alamo City has been in existence, I have, I have consistently tried to say, I pray the day will come when preaching will be unnecessary when the preacher will just be in the way and he needs to just get out of the way. And that the praises, the praises, the praises, the praises will rise up without any, without any restriction, without any hesitation under the Lord Jesus Christ. He's worthy of our praise. And that's what heaven is going to be. Heaven is going to be a place where if, if you don't like praise down here, you sure not going to like it up there because there's no end to the church service up there. The sun doesn't even set up there. Lord, we bless you and we love you and we praise you. Pour out your spirit one more time, Lord. One more time. One more time upon the united States of America, send a great revival one more time. Amen, amen, amen. There are so many of you that uh, are not in this room this morning, but you are, you are in your homes or you're in your vehicle, wherever you may be, just with your phone or a laptop or your smart TV, but you're a part of the Alamo City streaming family, and you have joined your hearts with us to pray for the Lord to pour out his spirit one more time. Lord, do it again upon this land. And I want to bless you and encourage you and thank you. Many of you, are trying to, we're trying to get out to you some weekly encouragements to pray, prayer that get, get out on Wednesday or Thursday, a brief video. And many of you have been participating with us in that, and we just are so grateful. And I'm, I, I just can't not say thank you for letting us know who you are and letting us know where you are and so many pray and so many are able to help financially. We just, we wouldn't be able to be in your homes. We wouldn't be able to do what we're doing in, in this country and literally around the world if it were not for the financial generosity of the Lord's, of the Lord's people. And, and that, that is a function of the Holy Spirit working in your heart where he, he prompts you to do something, to give something, to act in some particular way. That's that's an evidence of the living Jesus inside your heart. And we just bless you and thank you and praise the Lord for every last one of you. I'm glad to see a few more seats filled in here. I'm looking out and we're, getting, we're beginning to inch our way back to some sense of normalcy on these Sunday times together. Our children, our preschool are back together and that's a, that's a joy. Now, there's, there's something working in my heart, and, and if I don't get it out, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be hurting. So I, I need to get this out this morning. And it's not a hurt in a bad way. It'd be a hurt in a good way, I suppose, but I just need to say it. Here, here's the verse, and this verse is no stranger to the Alamo City family. Romans 15, 13. Now, may the God of hope Fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound 
in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. If we took that last phrase and put it earlier in the verse, it would help us with the emphasis that Paul is trying to make there. It would help us with great encouragement. If somebody, somebody says to you, you're just, you're, just not, you're just not hopeful enough. You, you, you just seem to have lost your hope. Well, when somebody comes up to you and tells you that, the response can be, if I could keep my hope, if I could get my hope back, I'd do it, and you wouldn't be looking at me like I, like I don't have anything to offer the rest of the world. Hope is not something that necessarily we're going to be able to manufacture and maintain on our own. That's why this is one of the greatest encouraging verses in all of the Bible. By the power of the Holy Spirit, May the God of hope enable you to be full of joy and peace as you believe so that you will overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, I need to say this, and, and, I, and I'm not fussing at anybody, I, and I'm not trying to accuse anybody, I'm not trying to get anybody's business necessarily. But if you have become a newsaholic, if you have become a news addict, the chances could be great that the level of hope for our nation, hope even for your life personally, the future, could be greatly diminished. Why? Because the law of the harvest can operate in the news cycles and the news feeds. You reap what you sow. If you were allowing there to be a sowing into your heart and into your life of hopelessness and fear, then there should be absolutely no surprise that I'm hopeless and I'm fearful. If you got a bad harvest, we don't need to keep fussing about the harvest. What do we need to do? We need to check the seed. Check the seed. Check the seed. What am I allowing to be sown into me that is resulting in the exact same thing that is being sown into me except more of it? I want to strongly suggest that we consider disconnecting, making the choice to disconnect from the things where we are able, where it is a discretionary choice. It's something up to us. And we just flat out make a decision that I'm not going to allow hopelessness to sow into me and fear to sow into me when I've got a choice, when I have an opportunity to shut it down. And I'm going to determine to set my eyes upon the God of hope who has the ability to cause me to be filled up with joy 
and peace in believing so that I may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus has called the church, the followers of Jesus, to bear witness of him. He said, but you shall receive power, and after that power has come upon you, you're going to be my witnesses, eyewitnesses of me. The, 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 the evidence that I, in my spirit, in my person, am alive in you. Now, how many of us can picture Jesus today, two or three weeks out from the election in this country, getting up off of the, his part of the throne in heaven and just wandering around the streets of gold with his head drooped and his mouth sagged and his eyes all blurred, worried about the United States of America, fearful of which direction it's going to go, scared to death that X might get elected and Y might not get elected. Folks, Folks, if you and I are called to be witnesses of that Jesus, then you and I ought to be marked by a fearless, solid, true hope that God has all things in his control. That he will, even, even if it would be that some of the things that are off the chart in bad in our estimation of the outcome even if it went all the direction, here's the truth from the God of hope. He has the power to cause all things to work together for good to those who love him and to those who are called according to his purpose. Do you love him? Is there a sense that he's called you? Then you don't have to, you don't have to stay up one, as we say, New York minute working about the outcome of anything. Because it doesn't matter what the outcome is. He is the one who has the power to take whatever those results seem to be in our evaluation of them, and he can take those pieces and cause them to work together for good in your life. And that's where we need to hold our position. You don't have to be saved to be hopeless. You don't have to have the power of the Spirit to be anxious and worried and negative. You don't have to be washed in the blood of the lamb to be a negative person. We can do that on our own. But it is by the power of the Spirit of Jesus that he will enable you to look into the face of things that may seem to be hopeless and look at them with full hope in your heart. Where does it come from? Now, may the God of hope. He's the generator. He's the supplier. We look at each other and there isn't any hope, but we allow him by his spirit to do his work within us. Now may the God of hope fill you up with all joy and peace and believing. Folks, hope is about something that hasn't happened yet. It's about something that hasn't happened yet. It's about something that's not in the material realm yet. It, it, it's, it's a supernatural ability. 
that only God can give a person to stand in the days before an event is completed or before a need is met or before a problem gets fixed and in the days before it ever gets fixed for there to be hope rising up and settled within your heart. Anybody can worry. Anybody can be scared. Anybody can be hopeless. But one's filled with the spirit of Jesus who is not drooping and wandering and scared in heaven. His spirit in you. His spirit in you. Not just more of you or me, but his spirit in us causes there to be from the inside, rising up from within, an ability to be at peace, an ability even to have joy. When Paul put it, he used a little word, N-O-W, now. Now. Not then, not then, but now. Now. May the God of hope fill you up with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope. Where's it going to come from? By the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, folks, when that's left out of the teaching of the church, when that's left out of the discipleship manuals, that here's all these verses on hope, and you better have hope. And here's all these verses on you're not supposed to be afraid. And it's all about what we're not supposed to do, what we're supposed to do. It can become another form of legalism. Unless there is the understanding that is we're supposed to get as we receive those teaching, that we're not going to be with hope, have hope, unless it is by the power of the Holy Spirit. We're not going to have love for God unless it is the love of God being shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. We we won't be able to forgive and let go of unless it is the power of the Spirit of Jesus, the ultimate forgiver who's alive inside our hearts. As long as we're trying to figure out how we can generate this and we feel bad about ourselves because we can't do this and, and we can't do that and we ought to be doing this but we're just not able to stay after it, As long as you keep staring at your navel and trying to find it within you in here, it'll lead you to a place of despair. It'll lead you to a place of disappointment. And as a result of that, some folks have just walked away from the Lord and from the church because they can't do it. That's why Jesus said, I'm sending the helper. His name is helper. His name is advocate. He's the one who comes alongside to help you. He will put hope in you. He will put mercy in you. He will put forgiveness in you. He'll put faith in you. By the power of the the Holy Spirit. All right? Now, I'm just assuming that some of us need a break from all the news. Did you know that fear sells? You know why they keep trying to scare you to death about oh, what happens if this and wins and what if that and loses? It's because that's what folks will listen to. Fear and hopelessness sell. And if we are sucker enough to keep being fed by and, and, and fed into by that, and we wonder, why am I just so afraid? Why, why am I just so worried? 
Why, why don't I have any hope? Check the seeds that you are allowing to be planted in you. Now, I want to just, I want us to go to change seeds. Goodness gracious, let's change seeds this morning. Let me read you some seed sown from the heart of the God of hope. <laughs> let's see if this doesn't help us, for goodness sake. Romans chapter 8. Find Romans chapter 8, if you would, please. Verse 23, Paul writes, and not only this, but also we ourselves having the first fruits of the Spirit, first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves grown within ourselves, waiting eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our body. Now that is a direct correlation to the second coming of Jesus and or the time when we leave this life to go to be with the Lord. And the culmination of our adoption as sons and daughters, as full-on children of the King, is when everything about us, even as he speaks here, our physical bodies as well as our souls and spirits, are brought together into the presence of the King, into the presence of the Father. He says that we're waiting eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our body. That when the Lord says, not one hair of your head shall perish, he's had to deal with a lot of hair on our heads perishing over the years and going other places. But the point is that his, his longing is for that which he fashioned you to look like and to be, not just in the spiritual, ethereal realm, but even in the physical sense, that the Lord so loves you that he desires when heaven is finally opened up for us to enter into his presence, that even the physical part of our body, the physical Life transformed, it, it, it's, it, it was, it's immaterial or it's material transformed into immaterial. It's that which is in the natural transformed into the spiritual. But there is still some kind of likeness. There is still some measure of being able to recognize Moses and Elijah when Peter, James, and John saw them on the Mount of Transfiguration. They didn't even, and there was no introduction. Peter just said, Let's, can we build a tabernacle for for you, Lord, and for Moses and Elijah. Never had met them before. But they were alive. They were real. They were there. They were men. You and I need to keep that in mind. That when the Lord takes us home, when the Lord accomplishes this redemption of our body, that's, that's a part of what we look forward to in heaven. And the people who are already over there, who are already in that place and that full adoption has taken place for them, they are ones we will recognize. They will not just be bodiless spirits, but we'll know them. They'll have a voice. They'll have arms to hug. Well, let me keep going here. Verse 24, for in hope we have been saved and hope that is seen is not hope. 
For why does one also hope for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, with perseverance, we will wait eagerly for it. Hope in the Bible has two parts. It has the part of a wish, a longing, but it is also coupled with a conviction, an expectation that what you're wishing for, longing for, is going to actually happen someday. Now may the God of hope, same word, now may the God who generates wishes and longings in the hearts of people and the God who exhibits an expectation that what the wishes are will come to pass, it is that God of hope who has the ability to fill you and me up with the ability to experience joy and peace in believing that we may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. It is the Lord himself, this God of hope, who gives dreams to people, who puts in the minds, the emotions, the hearts of folks a mountain to climb, a battle to fight, something to build, something to accomplish, something to write. He puts that in the heart. And the way that you know that it's something that has to be from the Lord is that even when it makes no sense, even when it seems like it's going the other direction, there is still a conviction in your heart. It may not be now, but it's going to happen. It's coming. Don't you tell, don't waste your breath telling me that it's not going to happen or it wasn't the promise of God, I know in my knower. Can you imagine Abraham and Sarah, Romans chapter 4? The amazing thing about Abraham, the scripture talks about that the farther he got from the time that the Lord promised that they would have a, he would have a son and, and Sarah would have a son, the farther he got from the date of the promise, instead of getting more and more discouraged because it's been so long since it was spoken, This crazy old man just got more excited that he was getting closer to the fulfillment that he knew was going to happen. It didn't matter if decades had passed. The conviction in his heart, the hope that God put in his heart, never did die, only grew stronger. Yes, it would be challenged. He wasn't perfect in all the ways of his expression during that walk of faith. But it was supernatural. It was supernatural that he got older and Sarah got older and it got more and more impossible for them to physically have children. And yet it says that as he gave glory to God, he just grew stronger in faith. And it happened as the Lord had promised that it would happen. Hope, but you see, this this is the deal. And this is where we, this is where we can just, miss it many times, is that we, we forget that the ability to have hope means that nothing in the natural has worked out yet. You don't need the power of the Spirit to praise God after the fact, right? After something has happened, after it's been solved. This is all about the power of God in your soul 
to give you the ability to trust him, to praise him, to be confident of the outcome before anything in the natural has happened. Do you see that? That's very important because we, we, it, it doesn't take any of this hope to thank the Lord after it's already happened. This is about God giving you the ability. When it makes no sense, you could disqualify yourself a thousand different ways. Folks would say, you're nuts to even think such things, but for there still to be that knowing in your heart that what God said, what you believe he put in your heart, and that he is also giving you the ability not to give up on is indeed from him. It's not up to you to make it happen. He's the one who initiated it. So he's the one who's going to bring it to pass in his time. The God of hope, the God of hope, the God of hope. We continue on, verse 26, Romans 8. In the same way, the Spirit also helps our weakness. That's a key phrase. That, that's the theme of the work of the Spirit. Wherever there is weakness, the Spirit helps our weakness. You got a spot of weakness? I do. I got a bunch of them. Surely right there I could list about 60 that I have or more. But the point of the Spirit is to help our weakness, whatever the weaknesses are. Not that we should just be told we shouldn't be doing that, but because we're so weak, we can't make the change. It is the function of the Spirit of Jesus to help us in the places of our weakness. Somebody needs to hear that today. So somebody needs to hear, because you had never heard it before. You just got a new set of rules when you gave your heart to Jesus, and nobody ever told you that there's a helper, there's a supernatural helper who can move inside you and strengthen your will, can open your mind, can do things even physically within you that you could never do for yourself. In the same way, the Spirit also helps our weakness, for we do not know how to pray as we should. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. Even when we don't know how to pray, the Spirit of Jesus inside of us will pray for us. And he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is because he intercedes for the saints. He prays for the saints according to the will of God. Verse 28. And we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. Folks, we need to just sit with that a minute. You may have it all figured out who needs to get elected and who needs to get defeated. Now, what happens on that Wednesday in November if it has gone just the opposite direction of what you have come to believe, if it goes that direction, the United States of America is done for, we're toast, it's all over, finished, down the toilet. Well, what if, if that's the conclusion, that this has to happen this way, what if it doesn't happen that way? Then what? If your heart is filled with hope, if the God of hope is alive and working in your heart, then you can be taken back to this Romans chapter 8, verse 28. Here's what I know. Here's what I'm convinced of. That my God is able to cause all things. What part of all do we not get? 
What part of all do we not get? I'm going to say that one more time. What part of all do we not get? It's all things, everything, every kind of thing, all sorts of things, anything. God is able to cause all things, all things, all things to work together for good, for excellence, for usefulness, for that which is for a future and a hope in my life. God is able to cause all things to work together for good to those who love him and to those who are called according to his purpose. Folks, that, Paul is saying this, and he's writing this at a time when there was no favorable governmental institution for towards Christianity protecting them. The, the, the religious crowd wanted to shut them down. The governmental crowd eventually called those who would not confess Caesar as Lord as, as enemies of the state, and they would be put to death eventually. But Paul, in that context, not talking about just the good things or the easy things, or the make sense kind of things. But he says, here's what I know. Here's what I know. My God is big enough. My God is strong enough. My God loves me and his people enough that he can cause all things to work together for good to those who love him and to those who are called according to his purpose. Hope, the God of hope, will seed your spirit with seeds of hope when you spend your time in the Word of God written by the God of hope. We need to start spending our time with the one who makes the news instead of just listening to the ones who try to report the news. He is the one. He is the cause. He is the prime mover. He is the one who is able to do what nobody can do. And he invites us to just trust him. But I want to say this one more time. You'll find it easier to believe God. You'll find it easier to be walking and be bearing a witness of the hope in God if you will diminish the sowing of seeds into you of hopelessness and fear. It is it is, it is a choice, and it can happen right now, and it can affect how you spend time this afternoon or tonight or in the morning or whenever. Now, that's just free. That's just your, that's just your pastor just trying to say, sheep, sheep, sheep. You don't have to live in a hopeless world. We're supposed to be different than the rest of the world. We're supposed to be bearing witness of the living Jesus. And he's not hopeless. And he's not scared. And he hadn't given up on this country. And he's big enough to take it and turn it wherever it needs to go, even if everything else has gone the other way. Okay. Mm. Verse 29. Romans 8. For whom he foreknew... He also predestined to become conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. And whom he predestined, that's you. If you've come to know Jesus as Savior and Lord, whom he predestined, he also called. He called you. I mean, you may not have heard a physical voice, an audible voice, but you're here today, changed, clothed and in your right mind, might I add. 
Because somewhere along the way, you sense the voice of Jesus calling you to himself. Whereas before, you had turned everything off, shut everything off. It didn't make sense to you. You didn't want to hear it. But as he began to warm your heart, you began to warm toward him. You didn't find him. He found you. You, you, you didn't win him. He won you with his love and his mercy. Predestined those he called. Whom he called, these he also justified. Whom he justified, these he also glorified. That's you and me, glorifying ultimately one day in the heavens with the Lord. What then shall we say to these things? What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who is against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how will he not also with him freely give us all things? Who will bring a charge against God's elect? A charge, an accusation that will stick. God is the one who justifies. Who is the one who condemns, who seeks to pass sentence, the sentence of death on those of us following Jesus? Christ Jesus is the one who died. He died for our sins. Yes, rather, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who also intercedes for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? Verse 37, but in all these things we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Folks, you spend 10 minutes in Romans chapter 8 instead of spending three hours catching the network's latest breaking news. And there can be more that the Spirit of God can do in your heart to stoke hope, to broaden your vision, to cause you to see where, that what we are a part of and what God is sitting above all is way more than the next two weeks and the outcome of the next two or three weeks. His vision, his scope is eternal. and His heart is rich with mercy, full of power, desiring for us to know him in the goodness of who he is. Hope. Now may the God of hope, now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Hope that he will keep his promises. Hope that he will answer prayers. Hope that he will make his presence felt among his people. But I want to mention one more hope. And in Titus chapter 2, it's a small book. If you hadn't been to Titus in a while, you need to know where it is in your copy of the Scriptures. Titus chapter 2, and there is the, the listing, the naming of one hope for the people of God that is called the blessed hope, the blessed hope. Titus chapter 2, verse 11. 
For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all men, instructing us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires and to live sensibly, righteously, and godly in the present age. While we're doing that, verse 13, looking for the blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Christ Jesus, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself a people for his own possession, zealous for good deeds. Back to 13, verse 13, looking for the blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. What is the hope anchored in a wish or that is made up of a wish and an expectation? What is the one hope that has this adjective attached to it over these other types of hope that the Lord can manifest his strength in in our hearts? The blessed hope, look at that next clause or next phrase, the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. What is that great hope? That great hope is that for you as a child of God, as a lover of Jesus, putting your trust in him, here is the great hope, the greatest of all the hopes for us, the the hope of redemption, forgiveness through the blood of Jesus, the hope of empowerment by the power of the Spirit filling us. Those are hopes, awesome hopes. But what what is the blessed hope, the one Set apart. It is the understanding deep within your heart, a knowing that cannot be shaken that one day Jesus is coming for you. Jesus is coming for you. He's not coming as a warrior. He's not coming as a judge. He's not coming as someone to beat you up and, 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 and spank you behind and throw you out of the house. He's coming as the lover of your soul. He's coming as the champion for your life. And he's coming to take you out of this world and take you into the Father's house. He's taking you to a place where your adoption as a son or a daughter is complete. Body taken. Maybe a temporary burial and there may be a As we'll read in a moment, 1 Thessalonians 4, that reunion of body and spirit in the presence of the Lord. But the point is, he's taken us home. Jesus is coming for me. Jesus is coming for you. The blessed hope, the blessed hope, no matter how hard the job is, no matter how long and difficult the family situation is, the blessed hope Everything I can see is temporary. Jesus is coming for you. In John chapter 14, Jesus speaks of that. And you need to know this is 
This is in your copy of the scripture. I think most of you will know this is here. John 14, verse 1. Jesus is speaking. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you. For I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself so that where I am, there you may be also. I'm preparing a place and the time will come when I come back. I'm not sending Gabriel. I'm not sending Michael, the two twin archangels. I'm not sending Jeremiah. I'm not sending Mary. I'm not sending Elijah. I'm coming myself when it is your time. When your last day has been lived, that last day in the book that's recorded in Psalm 139 of all the days that we'll live, put in that book. When you've reached your last day and it's time for you to come home, I'm coming for you. I've said to folks over the years, and it's true, I've experienced it in my own life. You know somebody who knows the Lord, who has loved the Lord, who has walked with the Lord, and they're coming toward the end of their time here, and it's obvious and it's known and it may be a sickness. It may just be the deterioration over the years, the age. But somebody else will enter that hospital room. Somebody else will come in that ICU room. Somebody else will be at the side of that car crash. Somebody else will be in that bedroom, in that home. When the time comes for that one to go home, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. If you can find a way to be in the room when someone you know loves Jesus is breathing their last breath and they're finally at the place of being released from this life and being sent into the presence of the Lord, the same one who said, Lazarus, come forth, is the one who will speak that name to that loved one of yours. Call that name and Lazarus will come forth. You won't see the body be raised up necessarily, but that won't matter because that body is just the shell that one used to live in. And that shell will be put in a grave and that shell will be covered over with, with asphalt and dirt I want you to find 1 Thessalonians 4 real quick. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. And what's going to happen to that body that's been put in the ground? The Thessalonian church was concerned. They were interested, but it reached a level of so much concern about the end of time and the return of the Lord and what about folks who've already died and, and we're still here? Where do they go when the Lord comes? And it was, it was very much about this hope, this hope that Jesus is coming. They believed in the imminent return of Jesus. They didn't have a whole bunch of prophetic things stacked up out there that had to line up. They just had the sense that Jesus could come at any time and they didn't want the ones they loved to miss out on anything. So Paul answers this, verse 13. We do not want you to be un, uninformed, brethren, about those who are asleep. That's the New Testament word for the death of a Christian. A Christian didn't die. 
They just went to sleep. Why? Because they're going to be raised. They're going to be waked up in the resurrection. That you may not grieve as to the rest who have no hope. There's that word. That you may not grieve as to the rest who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep in Jesus. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord shall not precede, shall not go before into heaven those who have fallen asleep. But the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ, the dead bodies of those Christians buried, the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus shall we always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. I want you to leave 1 Thessalonians and turn back a couple of books to the book of Philippians. Philippians chapter 4. Another place where this theme of the hope the hope, the blessed hope of the return of Jesus, that the Lord himself, this is, that is the second coming. That is to be what is spoken of as the second coming of the Lord. Jesus may come and he will come to the bedside of someone who is physically dying at the point of their death. And it's an individual coming of Jesus for that child. There was another teaching in the scripture which is spoken of as the second coming or the return of Jesus Christ to planet earth. He won't wait for Congress to vote him in. He will return by right of divine ownership, by right of divine creation. He will come when he chooses to come and no one will be able to keep him from coming. At the second coming of the Lord, that's what's spoken of in 1 Thessalonians 4. Many believe the Lord comes and, and there, is the, there is the raising up, the snatching away of the believers still on the earth at that time. But the ones who have died before that haven't been put in some holding tank somewhere. They've gone on to be with the Lord and in the presence of the Lord. And the ones if, that, that we would see now, we would be able to recognize they have, a, they have a spirit body. It's not necessarily the physical body. That will be raised, resurrected at some point in time in the future. But we would know them. We'd be able to recognize them. Moses and Elijah were known by Peter, James, and John, though there was never any introduction on the Mount of Transfiguration. Peter said, let us build a house for a tabernacle for you, Lord, and one for Moses and one for Elijah. And there was never any indication that Jesus had allowed those men or caused those men to introduce themselves to each other. They recognized each other. Or they recognized those men. And they could talk, that they could move, that they, they, they were real, they were alive, but Death had no hold on them any longer. Listen to this in uh, Philippians chapter 4. Brethren, join in following my example. Verse 17, Philippians 4, 17. Brethren, join in following my example and observe those who walk according to the pattern you have in us. For many walk of whom I often told you and now tell you even weeping that they are enemies of the cross of Christ whose end is destruction, whose God is their appetite, and whose glory is in their shame, who set their mind on earthly things. Look at verse 20. 
For our citizenship is in heaven, from whom also we eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform the body of our humble state into conformity with the body of His glory by the exertion of the power that He has even to subject all things to Himself. Is that not an awesome statement of who Jesus is, what He is able to do, and why our hope and our confidence should be anchored solidly in Him? I want to read that last part again. Who will transform the body of our humble state, our physical bodies, into conformity with the body of His glory by the exertion of the power that He has even to subject all things to Himself. The power that He has to subject all things to Himself. Operating in Jesus, you can look down at your foot, you can look down at your wrinkled hand, you can look at that old face in the mirror, and you can say, face, I'm telling you, there's a day coming when that face I look at, been looking at all these years, is going to be transformed into the image of the glory of Jesus Christ. I don't know what that's going to look like. I don't know what that's going to mean, but I'm ready for it. How about you? In the Lord's timing, in the Lord's way, in the Lord's way. So, so you see, if everything's going smooth for you right now, if you don't have any bumps in your road, if everybody is just fine with you and, and, you, and, and, and all is good, this blessed hope would mess up your plans. The coming of Jesus would rock your world. But if you know what it is to have your heart broken, to have things turn away that, that, that you didn't want them to turn and you didn't know what to do, and on and on and on the hard times of living in this life have come your way. You could say amen to the words of Jesus that in this world you're going to find tribulation. If you've known that, if you've lived in that, then this news about whether it's Jesus coming at the moment of my death or it's at the, at the time of Jesus coming unexpectedly, unannounced, interrupting my day, but he's coming for me. That sounds real good to you. So where is he taking us? When he comes to get us, where is he taking us? Would you find Revelation chapter 21? We're going to finish with this. Revelation chapter 21. Where is he taking us? When he comes for us, where is he taking us? You say, well, I don't want to go by myself. Well, that means we just need to get busy telling everybody that needs this ticket to heaven by faith in Jesus Christ. We need to get busy telling them, here's how you get from Bear County to heaven. Jesus would say, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except by me. You will pick Jesus down here in this life. When we've drawn the last breath, they're one of two that'll come after your soul. Jesus will come after your soul if you've received him as Savior and Lord. If you have not, Satan will come after your soul. We make the decision this side of death. The eternity is just more of what we've chosen in this life. It's Jesus, the way of Jesus, or the way of the devil. You say, I don't like that. That's too narrow. Get over it. 
You weren't asked. You didn't come up with the rules. The wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. It is not God's mind to consign everyone to a devil's hell. That's why Jesus came and suffered indescribably on the cross and was paid, paying for your sins and mine because he wanted there to be an escape from Satan's clutches. But there will be no surprise. It will either be Jesus coming for your soul or Satan coming for your soul. And it doesn't matter to the folks who I don't believe that, I don't believe that. Tell me what you know about the other side. Tell me what you know authoritatively about the other side. You don't. But Jesus came down from heaven, from the other side, to say, whosoever will may come. To say, I've come to seek and to save that which was lost. If that's you today, right now, where you're listening to this, just say those words. Say those words. Jesus, save me. Jesus, save me. He'll take it that you mean it, and he'll do the work that only he can do so that we can go to this place. Revelation chapter 21. John writes, and I saw a new heaven and a new earth. Verse 3, and I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, behold, the tabernacle of God is among men. Where God is going to be found, where God will live in that sense is among men. And he shall dwell among them, and they shall be his people, and God himself shall be among them. He shall wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there shall no longer be any death. There shall no longer be any mourning or crying, or pain. The first things have passed away. And he who sits on the throne said, Behold, I'm making all things new. And he said, Write, for these words are faithful and true. When he comes for you, when he comes for me. He's taking us to a place where every tear and the reason behind every tear, the cause of every tear has been wiped away. And in that place, there's no death There's no mourning. There's no crying. And there's no pain. If your life has been one silk stocking after another silver spoon, 
this news may just blow right past you. But that's not the vast majority of the ones who would be listening to me this morning. We know about tears. We know about mourning. We know about death and the hurt. But when Jesus comes for you, he's taking you to a place where those things don't even exist. There is no devil. There is no sin. Therefore, there can be no sorrow and mourning and pain. Do you know him? Do you know in your heart, is there a sense in your heart that, Lord, I know I'm not perfect, and I know there are things that you would want me to do differently, but there is this hope in my heart that you have died for my sins, and I have put my faith and trust in what you did for me on the cross, and my hope is that on the basis of my trust in you and you alone, you are going to come for me and take me to that place that is described in that last book of your Bible. Now may the God of hope fill you with joy and peace and believing that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. And all God's people said, Amen. 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 We're, we're going to close this time together with the singing, re-singing of one of the verses that Lisa and the team led us in earlier about this shout of acclamation, this the Lord calling us unto himself. And I want us to just worship as we sing together and rejoice in what has been promised to us by the Lord who cannot lie and who knows how to say things in a way that we get. Hope, the God of hope, the God of hope. Would you stand with me, please? And those of you who are part of our streaming family, you just stay with us if you can and continue this worship. God bless you.